Hello, listeners. Before diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways you can go deeper with the ideas I talk about in this podcast and support my work. The first is my book, The Pathless Path, which many of you have probably already heard about, but if you haven't purchased it already, I really think you'll love it. The second is The Pathless Path Community, which I just opened up as a one-time pay-what-feels-right access fee. And in that group, you can meet hundreds of other people from around the world on unconventional paths like me. Finally, I'm working on a second book tentatively called Good Work, which is going to explore my deeper relationship with work and how that led to a lot of the transformations in my life. You can follow along in my newsletter, Pathless, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to the Boundless Podcast, exploring the human side of work. I'm your host, Paul Millard, and I'm fascinated with how we can imagine past the default path to do things that matter. I have conversations with entrepreneurs, freelancers, and thinkers who are questioning the role of work in our lives who are thinking about how we can unlock creative potential in ourselves and organizations and are carving new paths in the world to create a more human future of work. If you want to support the podcast, check out the Patreon link in the show notes. And for more information, go to BoundlessPod.com. talking with Lydia Lee. She is a corporate escape coach, a title I love, and helps people escape and reimagine beyond the shackles of conventional work. She joins me from Bali today. Welcome to the podcast, Lydia. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. It's great to chat with you. Super excited to talk to you today. I think uh, I see a lot of things that resonate in your path with mine and um, excited to dig into that. But just curious now to learn more about you first. What was Lydia Lee like growing up? God, it depends on which stage of life <laughs> I was in. Uh, I was quite a, a crazy kid in the sense of, you know, what I would now know, uh, you know, I'm Emily Wapnick from Multipotentialite uh, does a lot of work around multipotentials, but I was sort of a multipotentialite child uh, in, in the sense of that I had tons of uh, interest in different areas. I think a lot of listeners that are probably listening to this are going, yep, that, that's me as well. You know, my, my corporate resume actually reflected that sort of bipolar, both the personality <laughs> that I had with trying new things all the time or needing to be stimulated, you know, in different areas all the time. So I don't really, really fit in the sort of traditional box of like, you know, that linear way of growing up where like a kid might be just interested in something for a very long time and then end up going to school for it and then, you know, uh, go forth and, and get out there and climb that corporate ladder. Uh, so my mom would probably tell you, you know, I was someone that would pick up hobbies and pick up interests. Like I want to learn to play the piano I want to learn to do this and that, you know, really quickly and then drop it after two weeks and try something new. So I was a, a bit more of an experimenter, I think, as a child. And, and thank goodness, as you're a child, no one really judges you on these decisions until you're an adult, <laughs> where I obviously had my own identity crisis, you know, as a young adult. But as a child, you know, it, it was some, I was a dibbler and dabbler, someone that dips into lots of different uh, hobbies and interests. And, you know, growing up, I, I, I was born in Malaysia and Penang, you know, the mecca of great Southeast yep. Asian food. I'm a bit biased, but it truly is the best food in Southeast Asia. Uh, and it's a little island, you know, not much to do. We, mo- we moved to Kuala Lumpur when I was about 
six years old. So I spent about two years in the big city there. Uh, and then my family immigrated to um, Vancouver. Originally, we planned to go to Montreal because we had family there, but we couldn't learn French in nine months, which was the <laughs> prerequisite to get citizenship. My poor mother oh, uh, wow. just could not pass the test. Yeah, they needed you to be fluent in French in nine months, which is quite a hard hard one to, to deal with. Uh, but, you know, the good thing is we did end up going to Vancouver. Uh, so I was there uh, uh, at about eight, nine years old. So my, primarily I grew up in uh, the suburbs of Vancouver. And uh, obviously I now live in uh, Bali, but majority of my life has been there. Um, yeah. And, and I think as a kid, you know, I, I I like to play with different ideas. I love to experiment. There was a lot of pretend games I had in my home, a trying on almost like, you know, I have, I, I always remembered, um, you know, lining up my teddy bears in a line uh, and becoming like a weather girl or a talk show host or a cooking <laughs> show host. Like there's always something about hosting and teaching or having my own show, you know, that seems to be the 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 the, the tie that binds some of these uh, little interests together. But I loved to sort of uh, pretend, you know, to, to take on different hats and roles, which I think really stimulated uh, my interest. And I think as an adult now, looking back on like how that sort of pattern you know, as a child of mine really did bring me lots of happiness and joy and the ability to do it in, in, a, in a small capacity uh, in my business, in my life is also quite exciting now. Yeah. Was, was there a time, I mean, even reflecting back now when you first experienced that tension of like liking multiple things and people, maybe other people telling you, you need to focus, right? You always mm. hear this. You need to focus. You need to pick one thing. You need to get serious. Different phrases I've heard over the years. Um, was there a moment where you kind of ran up against that tension? Yeah, I think after high school, you know, when you, you do have to kind of pick a degree, you know, that's always a, a hard road, yeah. isn't it? Like, it's like, you're an adult, you just got out of high school. Um, I mean, for, for, for you to make that decision about where your life should go at, you know, a, a mere age of 17 years old is, is lots of pressure. And I don't think, uh, we do it very well traditionally when we help young adults reach that decision. And also, uh, even if they've been going to college or university for two years and do change their major or decide that actually university isn't for me, we should have much more open conversations about that more instead of the guilty, shameful way of going, wait a second, you picked this, which you should keep going in that trajectory. And then, you know, here we go. Now people are probably having to pay me to get them out of the corporate <laughs> job again. Right. Uh, so right. I think, you know, partly is that, you know, it, as parents, and I don't blame my parents for this, you know, my parents are uh, immigrant people, you know, they gave up a lot to give me an opportunity in right. Canada to have an education. Um, and they wanted the best for me. And I think the intention was pure. Uh, and it was uh, out of love, right? But I, I definitely never got those open questions to be like, is this what you want to do? Do you want to do that? Um, I, I sort of went into the marketing route for yeah. tourism. That was sort of my degree, right? Marketing for tourism, uh, because I sort of felt, hey, that gave me some variety. I could work in hotels. I could work in any tourist, you know, locations. I could switch it up a little bit as long as it's, you know, customer facing, I'm doing well. But then the hours of hotel work and that sort of seasonal uh, product didn't work for me either. Right. You know, and it was hard to leave what I had my degree for, uh, and, and, and then go into different industries like publishing, you know, and real estate development, all the different things on my resume without the sort of like, you know, cockeyed look from my mother <laughs> going, are you, you know, switching jobs again? So every two years was probably my maximum, uh, that I could last in a corporation except for my last job. Uh, so that was sort of a good clue that I was someone that needed variety. 
That's fascinating. So, so I'm I'm operating on the two year time frame as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it seems two years now. seems to be yeah. the thing. And it doesn't. Don't they say that about relationships too? It's something like if you can get over the two year hump and you can live with someone for two years, you've got a chance. <laughs> I don't think I ever had the chance in the corporate world. Right. Yeah. And so you know, it it, it happens to a lot of people. And I think you know, uh, people experience it all the time. Do we talk about it as often? Maybe not, because we we don't want to uh, feel the shame of having a hundred thousand dollar student loan debt yeah. and have nothing to show for it. You know, so we do tend to sort of keep on going, even if the the path where it's leading us may not uh, always be exactly how we imagine it to be from the get go. Yeah, it's interesting hearing you just reflect on choosing your major. I'm thinking back to my major, and my major was really hard for other people to understand because it was this new dual degree program. Right. <laughs> and, and I think maybe deep down I liked that because I I could just map whatever I wanted on top top of it. Mm. Um, so in college, you're experimenting with different things and basically realizing you like doing different things, or at least you're shifting um, every once in a while. Did you, you still ended up going to the corporate world? How, how did oh, you yeah, think about absolutely. that? I, I didn't think yeah. there was an alternative. I mean, yeah, right. everyone around me, uh, my friends, my, my, te- my classmates, everyone around me w- was doing that. And even when you did complain on a Friday evening at the pub, about how shitty your boss is or how crap your job is. I mean, it was sort of like normalized and, you know, that you're not supposed to like your work, uh, not all the time anyway, you know, and, um, this is just what you do as a responsible adult, you know, is that you pay the bills and you get a mortgage and, you know, you go and hopefully get married and have babies and, you know, you follow that traditional trajectory of what, what society potentially has defined as a successful and happy life, you know? Um, so that was, you know, I, I think what what it, what I mean by normalize is that you don't you you only know what you know, right? right? And you don't know what you don't know. So you you're you, it's sort of that um, you know biasness and also that echo chamber, right, of the community around you that tells you what's possible and what's normal and what's you know responsible, right? So I think every human can can absolutely relate to that until something changes, right? Whether it's like my story was you know it changed when I had a burnout, right, which which forced me to reflect right? And rethink my steps. Or sometimes people do it in a much more less stressful way. (laughs) And it doesn't require a burnout, like they go on a sabbatical, you know, and they travel and they find their route and direction through time and space, you know, and new experiences. And that's why I really love travel as a tool, right to figure that out. But sometimes we do have to get out of our, you know, existing communities, existing environments to learn uh, an alternative uh, path to a different life. Were there people you met or ideas you were exposed to in your corporate journey before you took the leap that gave you maybe an inkling of saying, okay, maybe there's a different path? Yeah, totally. And I I wish I, um, you know, at the time I didn't have Facebook, I think, or I wasn't using Facebook very much. So I didn't connect with him past that. But um, I took a holiday back to Penang, actually, to see I hadn't been back home since I immigrated, you know, when I was nine years old. So I went there in sort of like mid 20s, you know, uh, and did a, a, a two month um, sort of trip there. Uh, and I actually went to Langkawi, which is an island sort of um, not far from Penang. And I was on a boat with this German guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was talking to me about his work and he said he could do this on a digital level. He was a marketing uh, coordinator uh, or a marketing uh, um, specialist. And I said, how do you do this? Like, uh, like traveling, like you're, you're living in Southeast Asia six months out of the year, six months in Berlin, you know, and you're running this agency, right, that you have 
in Berlin full of contractors, right? Um, how do you do this from the internet? Like this was still like, I had no idea about yeah. digital nomadism. I read the four hour work week, like once at the time and sort of like loved the concept, loved Tim Ferriss, but then all the case studies in there were like coders and programmers and drop shippers. And, you know, like right. I didn't see myself as that techie of a person. So I could, I could be, I was, I wasn't as attracted to that way of making a living perhaps. And then there's this guy that actually did a vocation or a career that was really much more similar to mine, right. right. In marketing. And so being able to meet him in real life and then have discussions with him over dinner to go, oh, okay, so there's this new thing where you can contract yourself out for projects. You could, you know, um, have a business online and attract a global audience and work from your laptop if you're organized and and, and good enough to do that, right? And that the service-based um, model can be done uh, without being in a physical environment, right? Which wasn't something I was used to, obviously, like I never, like, why would anyone pay me to Skype me like that? That, didn't, <laughs> that was like, so beyond my, my reality, right? right. So, but that was sort of, you know, the power of meeting someone in person, right, that you can touch and feel and not just read about, and actually get to pick their brain on what that looks like, how they got started. And that made it really real for me. Right. And then so that was that seed was planted. And then when I went back to I still went back to corporate, right. you know, so reread the four hour work week again uh, and applied the concepts more to the way that I would love to sort of yeah. do my, my lifestyle. And then um, about six months after that, that's when I had the you know infamous burnout moment in Russia, you know, on a business trip where I basically had a meltdown. Right. I was wow. exhausted. I had not like taken a holiday like besides that, um, you know, for five years when I was working there, I didn't take a holiday like every wow. year. I would give, give up my yearly holiday pay, sorry, holiday time to get paid so that oh, I could pay geez. off my student loans, right? Yeah. Trying to be financially responsible and so forth, you know, and I never took time off for myself. I was working 60 hours a week, right? I was constantly um, really thinking about work the whole time, had no wellness and well-being. And of course, that caught up to me. You know, and that moment was a breakdown, but it was also a breakthrough in a lot of ways because it sort of forced me through that painful experience to reevaluate, to actually take a pause rather than go on autopilot, right, and continue to do what I was doing to actually take a, a real pause and look at the things I was really spending my time doing and was it leading me to a life experience that I was, I was proud to have or not. Yeah, so so maybe talk to me a little bit more about that experience in Russia. Like, was there a moment or was it just kind of like a deeper feeling of saying, this is not the life I want to be following? Yeah, the, the feeling of the, the this might, the, this doesn't seem right of how I feel is has been happening to me for years, yeah. right? But every time it was sort of band, band-aided, if that's a word, by a promotion, Yes. Or buy more money, right? And it's really easy. Or job there's all these, changes, right? Yeah, you know, and there's all these carrots, isn't it? And then whenever <laughs> you start start a new job as well, just like starting a new relationship, there's sort of like a fresh newness yeah. to things, and you know, and then and then you go about again, and then two years later, you're you know fucked off again, right? Um, but that moment did hit me actually on a physical level. So by that time, so my job back in the day was in international education. I worked for a really big private school in Canada that also had schools in, in the States. And I worked a lot with the government of Canada to promote education, traditional education uh, in Canada. So I was on the road a lot in like expos and, uh, you know, big conventions and so forth, right? Making relationships with agencies uh, globally in Europe. And in Europe, sorry. Uh, so I was actually in Russia about to do a trade mission, you know, in Ukraine, Russia and Turkey, uh, you know, to do this uh, a combined effort to promote education. And by this time, I was probably already three weeks on the road. 
right? Jet lagged in, you know, in so many ways, living out of hotel rooms. And I was supposed to go on another, you know, back to back 12 appointments for the day right? Mm-hmm. To sell the thing. And it's like winter, right? I'm it's like stressed the, the, hearing yeah, about no, it. <laughs> it was so cold. People weren't really nice to me there. You know, Moscow is quite a, a gritty, hard city to be in to begin with, right? Um, and I think it was a combination of all that. But I developed temporary like agoraphobia in mm-hmm. the hotel room where I like had such a panic attack of like, it sort of came out of nowhere. It was the weirdest thing. It sort of, I woke up, I was like, making my breakfast, whatever, or getting breakfast from the hotel. Uh, and then I just didn't want to leave this hotel room. I felt this like sense of like dread to get out there. And then this panic, I've had panic attacks before and it felt like that. Uh, and it felt really scary because I was alone in a foreign country. But I think a lot of it was exhaustion, actually. Right. It was like not sleeping, flying all the time, time zone changes, like all of that on a physical level took its toll. You know, and I called my boyfriend at the time and was like, I don't want to go out there. I want to come home. I don't want to be here by myself. And I just had a freak out, you know, and he's like, this is, doesn't sound like you. Like you're always on the ball. You're organized. Like maybe you're just having a bit of a, a an anxiety attack, you know, uh, and that did, I didn't need to go home, you know, but that was also some time off and a, a mini sabbatical I had to do, which I thought was a sort of mental unwellness for me, like exhaustion. Uh, but luckily when I, you know, seeked help from a therapist, right. During a time like that, it was really great to work with someone that didn't just shove a bunch of pills down my throat, you know, but instead helped me to question myself on particular challenges I was experiencing. And was it just exhaustion or was that, was it other things that are at play that I really needed to highlight and, and, and sort of pay attention to in my life? Wow. That's, uh, that is a lot to, uh, handle. It is. Yeah. And, and I think your body tells you, right. The body's right. the first thing that your mind might just kind of keep going. I'm a high achiever and type A. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can keep going. Nothing feels exhausting. But then your body kind of doesn't lie. <laughs> your mind can lie to you a lot, but your body doesn't, you know, so I, it was listening to those signals and it had to put me down in a lot of ways. Cause I think I was exhausted for many, many months and many years before that, but it sort of took a, a much more aggressive, uh, approach, if you will, for me to actually wake up. Yeah, I th- it's uh it's fascinating hearing this. I mean, I I hear similar things from some people I've worked with and mm. uh, I don't know if you've read any of David White, but he call he uh he's a poet and he writes about um the corporate working world and he calls about he talks about how we ignore our body's call for just rest and mm. like it's screaming out and we uh we distract ourselves with these um easily quantifiable like right it's the promotion it's the extrinsic mm-hmm. success and the body is just saying like no we need to rest we need uh space for creativity we need um, totally time for yeah. ourselves or, or we yeah. numb out with netflix right and and look for, look forward to the weekend right that's sort of again very normalized like friday feeling right we've got right. the weekend and that's all we've got and then Right. Sunday at 7 p.m. is like the worst time for me because, you know, you're about to go back to work. And I have this sense of depression every Sunday. But again, you normalize it because that's what everyone else is doing, too. And so you don't even complain about it in a lot of ways. And and, you know, um, I think I think there's something quite um, dangerous about that complacency, because a lot of us that live in the first world, it's not as you know, sometimes we need a bit of pain, but it's not painful enough a lot for times for people to change. I certainly did not. 
uh, I would love to say that I had an epiphany and a Gandhi moment here and was like, I need to take control of my life. But no, I didn't. You know, I didn't take control of my life. I was complacent and it right. required this force of nature to push me. Right. And I, I and, and hence why I do talk a bit about this unsexy part of burnout, because people need to realize the signs they need to actually um, explore what that is about without actually pushing under the rug and going, oh, it's just I had a, a long week, you know, especially yeah. if it's occurring often. Yeah, there's there's uh, research, I think, from the NIH in the U.S. showing that burnout is almost very close to depression, um, mm. but very specific to all, like, workplace behaviors. Um, yeah. So people can ignore it because people actually are able to have that burnout and then temporarily escape it. But mm-hmm. you can never really escape it in the long run. Yeah. And don't you also notice like burnout is, you know, what I really figured out like during my, my stint with my therapist, right. Is that like, at first it was just like a physical thing. Oh, maybe I need more sleep. Maybe I need to stop traveling so much. Maybe I need to renegotiate my role to be less on the road and more at home. And those are some practical, pragmatic things for sure to do. But I think a lot of the burnout for me too, was, um, that I was a creative person. Uh, Like I, I, I didn't want to sell something that I didn't believe in. And one of the kind of key nuggets that came from my conversation with my therapist was that I was actually selling a product, which is traditional education, which is actually a thing I don't believe in. (laughs) You know, like, because she's like, Hey, you know, like, do you care about what you're selling? Does it matter to you? Like, because you know, some people can do the sales thing and they're like happy with that. But like, I was someone that's built to like, if I was going to go out there and like, put my time into it. I needed to believe in the thing I was doing and it did affect my joy. It did affect my fulfillment and satisfaction about that job. So if I was trying to make my numbers, right, a lot of my, my money, uh, my six figure salary was, was from commissions, right? From extra commissions that were on top of my salary. Uh, and I was chasing those commissions. So in a way, in a way, trying to sell a bunch of stuff that I, I don't believe in to make the numbers, which in turn caused this feeling of guilt and, and this wow. feeling of unfulfillment, right? Which is a, so much more than the physical level. Uh, and, and so that re- also made me realize that I actually like to work. That, like, I'm not someone that loves to escape work. I want, I am a contributor. I love to create things. I love to produce. And that's what makes me a great worker bee, right? In, in other people's businesses, right? In corporations. But you know, for me on a fundamental level, what causes inspiration and the ability to wake up and do the thing and keep going and have creative ideas is if I am personally aligned with the thing that I'm doing, you know? So it's very, very, um, clear to me that that was also one of the key factors that was causing the burnout, causing the mental anguish and the distress that translated into a physical thing, you know? Yeah, That's so powerful. I think it's something I've realized. I, Like when I was in the corporate world, I don't think I identified it as there is a lack of creative expression. But now I kind of see in realizing the creative expression, it's like, oh, my God, I am so alive in this moment. Um, But, you know, counting down the clock, right? Like when you're mm -hmm. actually doing work, you're you're, you're creatively inspired about, you know, you're not like, oh, my God, I have to interview Lydia. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was really really pumped about this. But um, so... Turning that on its head, though, I think the challenge I've had is convincing people that that transformation can happen for anyone, right? And at its core, it kind of is a leap of faith in saying that, like, there might be something better on this other side of the leap. Um, Maybe a story from your own leap or um, ways you've worked with uh, clients to help convince them of this. Do you have any suggestions or stories? Yeah, great question. 
Um, you know, I agree that you can't convince people that don't want to be convinced. Right. Right. So, so for, for example, like I am only interested, I'm sure you are too, to talk to people that have already been questioning, you know, their whole point of existence. Right. Like, so if someone's happy at their job, like, you know, my mom's been at HSBC for 35 years, like she is happy. She just got her pension. She's retired early. She is happy as a clam and she actually loves to work for someone else. And the idea of being an entrepreneur and idea of actually even living abroad, she's like, uh, not for me, you know, and that's not someone that I would ever be like, no, 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 your life sucks. You should actually really, you know, it's, it's not entrepreneur. <laughs> entrepreneurship is not totally for agree. Everyone. Yeah. Right. And entrepreneurship is also not the only factor that can cause happiness. It's, it, it can be a tool to be used to gain freedom and flexibility and right, uh, your own independent creativity. Uh, but not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Right. And the, the great thing about the future of work is that it's not only filled with entrepreneurs, it's, 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 you know, even organizations are expanding into a remote working environment. Right. right. Office space costs too much. Right. Insurance costs too much. Like people are stuck two hours a day in commutes. Like we realize this and actually it's much more affordable and much more better at the bottom line and happiness of your employees to actually potentially restructure to a more remote working environment. And it's brilliant to see this implemented a lot more than usual. You know, you can freelance, you can consult, you can still be a, uh, employed and be remote, you know, so the, the opportunities are a lot more available in the time and age that that we're in. Um, but in terms of, you know, like, you know, you can lead the, the, the horse to the water, but you can't force the, the horse to drink. Right. So I think the idea of convincing is more about like actually showcasing uh, the possibilities, not just in inspirational level, like not just like showing a bunch of great Instagram shots of you working by the, the, the beach and having a martini at hand because that's great, but not helpful. <laughs> you know, it's really about like, what do we need to do today in the smallest step to help right. to increase your courage, right? Like to ease you into the bravery of taking one tiny step because too big of a leap actually makes people go back in corporate and too big of a leap makes right. people uh, do kind of um, foolhardy decisions, you know, without looking at their finances and looking at the well-being of, of their, their life in order to make micro decisions more effectively, right? So w what I always sort of talk about with my clients who are like, okay, I, I know I want to leave my job. I know that I'm completely distressed and I want to do something of my own independently. Like, what do I need to do? Do I quit today? you know, and like, just move to Bali like you like, and I'm like, no, please don't quit. Like, don't quit. Because actually, when you look at like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs at the bottom baseline, it's like survival needs, right? Shelter, food, community, a sense of belongingness, right? Family, like we need to have that intact in a lot of ways before we can go into the second level, right, of creativity and ideas and exploration. Because if we don't feel safe, at the sort of grounds level of our lives, like forget about creativity. Like if you feel like you can't feed yourself and you've got debt problems, like the last thing your brain wants to go into and your heart wants to go into is like creative projects, right. you know, because your day to day survival is threatened in a lot of ways. So in this part, it's like, I call it like the preparation to leap, right? Before you even think about business ideas or like what side hustle you want to start, let's just like get your, um, you know, day to day life, like fixed up and, and better, right? That might actually require you to renegotiate how you do things at work. It might be a role change. It might actually be like budgeting and saving up money. It might be downsizing from a five bedroom house to a two bedroom condo, you know, to have much more disposable income. You know, there, there's conversations to have with your spouse about a potential change coming up. You know, there's a time of exploration to see what skill sets you may want to leverage, right, as talents for a side hustle. So there's a lot of this preparation of an environment that's not very sexy. But no. it is the sort of nice foundation to leap from, 
right? When you can feel safe that, and I had to do that too, it was nine months of a leap zone, you know, for me to quit, to prepare my finances and to prepare my side hustle to be ready for quitting. You know, I don't recommend people to take that leap fully right away. Yeah. Do it when you're actually working. Like, great. If you, unless you have like a silver spoon in your mouth or you saved really well, where you can live like with no income for a year or something, like go for it. Life is short, right? But if you've got family, you know, if you've right. got debt, right, that's a really different thing. And there's no cookie cutter formula for something like that. But you do need to take, take account your financial status and how you can better that in order to effectively, right, leave your job and bring in a different type of income or live off your savings for a certain amount of time to be able to take a sabbatical right? Or some time off if necessary. Um, so where I sort of advise people on is like, do that preparation, do that unsexy work because your, your well-being will thank you. And actually this is sort of preparing your platform for creativity to happen where right. you're less likely going to have your egocentric mind going, but what if this, and what if we don't feed ourselves and what if, uh, you know, and then you have like no room to sort of go, what, what would I like to create? Like, you know, like there's no room for that when you're under stressed. Right. And so that's the unsexy part to really focus on. And then when you can do that step, it's like micro steps of like, testing out like almost like trying on a different hat like especially if you're a multi multi-passionate person like me and you like there might be different skills like I, I look at my resumes like for five people I've got like so many different skills <laughs> right um and I have to sort of look at patterns and themes like that's what I do a lot for my clients now sort of see how their roles actually intersect yeah. you know and, and 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 look at our jobs as less about job titles but more about like what is the service and what is the sort of ingredients of great work that appears in actually multiple roles that you have. And it's taking that time to really reflect how each job actually had a purpose and had a benefit. Uh, and how can that assist you, you know, in creating something new in your body of work, right? right. And, it, and, and it might be a different industry, it might be a different, you know, title you give yourself, but it's almost like an accumulation of your knowledge and experience that can help you towards your next big thing, you know, but make it in micro steps. And if you're doing things in micro steps, you're not going to be afraid to take the leap, because yeah. they're calculated risks. Because most of us are not the, I'll jump off a cliff and hope the parachute opens kind of people. We're not like the Steve right. Jobs of the world. We're not Elon <laughs> Musk, right? Those guys are crazy and they're amazing. Uh, but regular Did, people, like you and I don't do that, right? We need to sort of take these micro steps to, yeah. again, ease ourselves into the courage we, we need. Yeah, I, I, I know in my journey, I did a bunch of small experiments in which I gave myself permission to quit. Um, yeah. It's basically just to find things, okay, I'm going to learn. And then it's basically like five or six experiments where I quit them. And it was like, okay, I need to do big, bigger and more outside of the corporate world. But um, did you, mm. were there any experiments that stood out for you before you took your leap? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I, I started like, I, I thought I would be a copywriter. Like I was like, I love writing and I, I wrote a lot of the sales pages for, you know, my corporate background, I, you know, wrote a lot of sort of pitches and things like that. And I do love the spoken word. Uh, but actually when I test it, actually writing on some projects, you know, I actually didn't like writing for other people. <laughs> right. Like I like writing for myself and it was like a flow you know, that I could have because it's my ideas. And, you know, it came from like something I couldn't, I could have to cultivate more holistically. But when it's like other people's thoughts and I had to turn it into something salesy or like, you know, engaging, I don't know, something about that, I didn't really hit the mark for me, you know? Uh, and, and so that's great for me to have tested something like that, for example, as a freelancer, you know, because I didn't put all my eggs in that basket and build a website and, right. you know, 
an email list and all this stuff and then realize, shit, I didn't want to do this anyway. You know, so there's this sort of what I call the beta test period, right? It's a validation period where you actually you're allowed to just as you did, like you're allowed to actually choose a few things. And even if you're like, okay, I don't, I don't know if I could take on some paid projects. I'm not really sure what my skill set level is yet, but I want to trial it out. Well, geez, offer it, offer it to a couple people for free and actually do it wholeheartedly as if this person is a paid client and give it your all to sort of look at your processes and look at how you might approach that work and measure yourself up you know to where your level of expertise should be or potentially it might even tell you that i need to educate myself more i need to take a class or i need to be trained better but i am interested i am you know this sort of gave me some light in my belly and that again can't be cultivated unless you do the thing right lots of people are like how do i find my passions like i'm sorry (laughs) but like you just gotta do you know that if something an inclination comes to you just like i did like i think i want to write for people and you just sort of have to do it right with a timeline like don't go forever on it but like i'm gonna spend the next 30 days just writing to five sample projects and just see if i like doing that you know um and then you can sort of stop at 30 days and go and reflect right did i like that craft would I, can I see myself investing time learning more and improving my expertise and mastering that craft? You know, did I enjoy the customers that I helped? Did I like the types of pieces of projects that I was writing on? Did I like more biographies versus sales pages? Like, you know, like it gives you that more meat in a way to gauge where your interest lies before you actually go out there and build a business around it, which I think is super important for people to realize that this is an important beta process step. So you wrote a bit about your leap and transition and you said you wrote the phrase, I had to navigate an identity crisis and deal with the legacy of my previous resume. Mm -hmm. So how how were you processing that as you started, uh, as you took, after you took your leap? Yeah. So the screw the cubicle was not my first business. Okay. It was an accidental business, uh, in a, in a beautiful way. Right. Like, wait, I want to pause there because I think that's a really interesting, um, thing that I've seen in a lot of freelancers is that Mm. they're so, they think they need to know exactly what they're going to be doing. Right. And in essence, they're trying to create like another job for themselves. Mm. Um, but what I've seen is a lot of people get out there, they experiment with this freedom and then like radically shift to something else like six months down the line. So that's mm-hmm. really cool that you're highlighting that. So may- yeah. maybe a little more around that and then we can dive back into that other question. Yeah, definitely. So the first business I created was actually a transition business from the industry I was in, right? Except that, <coughs> sorry for my cough, um, instead of marketing sort of like traditional education, I was, because I already had the context, right? So that was a sort of low hanging fruit idea for me, right? I've already accumulated uh, almost like social equity, right? With my colleagues and industry partners and so forth, right? Uh, and where I sort of, where I sort of started a business around is, is, is becoming a middleman, an agency that was sort of like uh, someone that customized um, educational tours. So there could be like summer camps or yeah. winter camps, like skiing and learning a, a skill for a university student or a, a college student. Um, and I, I market it to primarily China and Taiwan, which is sort of an emerging market in international education at the time, um, and leverage some of that missing gaps of opportunity that I found out when I was an employee in the industry. You know, so it's very niched. Right. It was sort of a boutique agency. It brought me some good income, you know, it wasn't six figures, but it was a good chunk of money for me to be able to quit. Um, and I worked on projects by projects. So there were sort of gaps in time that was freelancing, you know, when big active projects weren't going on, but it was enough to pay the bills. 
right? And that was enough for me to say, that's good enough for me to quit at that time. So six months down the road, as I'm working this business, um, I felt just like, as you said, I've created a job, right? It was like right. doing a bunch of stuff, like going to China and like really trying to make like really rich parents in China, like buy a program due to like them wanting to push their kid really hard, you know, uh, to like have American or North American experience. You know, they weren't interested so much in the like, uh, development of their child in a, in a, in a, in a, in a positive <laughs> way. It was mostly, yeah. It's almost like, are you going to go do tours at Berkeley? You know, cause I need <laughs> to have that on his like, you know, student application when he oh, goes God. to university. Right. Uh, and, and, and then it was like, uh, like, you know, having to, again, sell something to people that, that, and it wasn't the way I wanted to sell it. Right. But that market demanded in a way China, right. Demanded that the prerequisites for them to say yes to something like that was around credentials. And it was around like, you know, these sorts of, um, it's all about right the names of the schools and you know, the, the, the sort of things like that. Um, and then it, it made me fall out of love again. And, and I remember going into a wave of depression because I'm like, well, shit, like I thought the whole prescription for my, you know, burnout and dissatisfaction was being an entrepreneur. Right. Right. And here I was, you know, working for my underpants at home and having, the ability to work from anywhere. And still I am feeling unsatisfied. And so I felt like a failure a little bit, you know, because it was like, Oh God, what should I tell people now? Like I had made this whole hoo-ha about leaving and people were like, awesome, right. good for you. And here I am going, I hate my job and I'm the boss. Like, you know, it was like kind of a shameful thing to admit. And to be honest, at the time, I didn't have anyone around me that were entrepreneurs either. So I, I didn't have support. I didn't, I didn't know who to talk to in a lot of ways. And I, I did have to hire a business coach to help me with that. But, you know, I didn't have peers around me that could help me sort of, you know, workshop what that was and what that maybe there was a reposition or something that needed to happen. Um, and, and so what happened? after that was that I started Screw the Cubicle as a blog of documenting this transition of what it felt like to go from a corporate employee to an entrepreneur and the sort of honest, um, you know, emotions that come with that roller coaster ride, that, that you will come with lots of failures. And, and at first years, like, like 10 years of therapy, you know, like it will challenge you in so many ways, right? Uh, psychologically. Uh, and what it felt like to be an entrepreneur and sometimes, you know, fall in love with the things that you are creating and producing and what to do about that, you know, and, and, and that's the whole point of the whole identity crisis problem, you know, which was like, did I make a mistake? Did I pick the wrong business idea? Should I have not been so, you know, uh, full hardy and left so quickly? Like, you know, there's all these sort of questions that sort of came for me. Um, and, and that blog was sort of around that. And then it wasn't until, someone from Toronto, a lawyer from Toronto emailed me who'd been reading my blogs, which I wasn't promoting that much at the time, uh, and said, Hey, do you coach people to get out of corporate and like help them find a different path? And I was like, what's a coach? And so like, I had to Google it. And like, <laughs> I was like, do I have to go back and be a therapist? I don't think I, I'm like way too blunt to be a therapist. Like, you know, what, what is a coach? Yeah. Entail, you know? And then I was like, do what I want to coach? Well, I get really annoyed at people's problems. Like, you know, like <laughs> you, we don't know. Right. And that's the whole point of like trying the hat on, right. Trying that coat right. on and seeing how it feels. So, um, I decided that, Hey, if people got a lot of insight and, and, and encouragement from my blogs, I wonder what it would feel like to work with them more intimately. I wonder what it would right. feel like to answer nuanced questions that people have around their life. And, and I would be honest about what I can and can't help with. So for example, I was very a adamant that I did not help on business because who was I to help on business when I haven't started something sustainable. Right. right. And I hate that when people do that. Right. Um, 
but what I can do and what I have experience in doing is that I, I understand the road to that from, from that transition. What you have to prepare before you quit, what sorts of sort of things are going to happen to you emotionally before you quit, you know, and what are some pragmatic and practical ways to prepare for that leap and, 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 you know, test out some ideas while you were still employed. Right. right. So that was sort of my idea. Right. I didn't know how I was going to do it, how, how many sessions that was going to be like, how it's going to roll out. So I decided to experiment and take on eight guinea pig clients for two months. Right. You get 60 wow. days. We coach once a week. So basically, you've got eight sessions with me. Right. I don't know yet how these sessions are going to pan out. But what I will right. promise you is that I'm going to give you as many of the resources and advice that I know. And I'm trying to be as present for you to not just like giving a formula of what to follow, but actually try to identify the right formula for your life and your way of, of approach, right? Which did challenge me in a lot of ways to scale that, you know, in the beginning of time. Uh, right. But it really taught me to be a better coach, right? To not actually like, you just give people a step-by-step -step blueprint, but right. actually to be a lot more holistic about the concepts and to listen to the actual needs of these people, you know, and tailor the, the journey according to what they need, right? Which is a little bit more of a holistic approach. Uh, and then after taking on those eight guinea pig clients, that's when I started to realize who I wanted to work with, who I did not yeah. want to work with again, uh, what issues and problems that I could solve, right? Confidently. Right. Um, what were issues I did not ever want to tackle again, right? And, and, and I, had, I had some clients that were like really mentally depressed and really going through burnout that I would never work with again because th they needed a therapist first in order right. to be ready for me, but I could gauge that now, right? So it was a great little testing period for me to understand where I sat in the position of my coaching products, but also like what I was wanting to be known for at the time, right? you know? And, um, and that was, that was good. How did you find the eight people? Did you charge them? Did you, how did you communicate what you were trying to do? So I did not charge them because yeah. to me, this was an experiment and it was something I hadn't had any experience doing before. And there's no right or wrong answer in charging or not charging because it all yeah. depends, right? Certain people, like, for example, I have a lot of clients that are like, let's say like nurses, you know, in a, in a hospital for a while. And now they're going to holistic, to be a holistic practitioner, right? But they're actually still taking a, a 20 years of experience, right, into their holistic practice, right, of health and wellness, let's say. Right? They're not going from like, I want to be, I'm a lawyer. Now all of a sudden I'm a copywriter editor. Like, you know, very different skill set that actually might require you to master it or even create an internship, uh, you know, sort of section of your experimentation to right master that craft. Right. Um, so for me, I felt like I was in that beginner mode. Like I didn't have any corporate experience or work experience that I could sort of bring to the table at the time I thought, you know, uh, and I wanted to really do this in a low pressure way. Cause again, I'm type a, I am a perfectionist. I know that if I put that big pressure of like I charge and I have to meet the value of that price, I'm going right. to start to like get frazzled. So I sort of just went, you know what, why don't I just give myself this window of play, you know, like where I can make mistakes, I'm allowed to make mistakes, but it's okay. Cause I'm not charging any money, but I am going to be, I need committed people. Right. right. And I need them to know that I'm treating them as if they were paying clients. Right. But they were going to be collaborative with me in exploring what this can look like. And they have to actually um, put in the work, too. Right. It's not a Lydia tells me what to do and then I'll do it kind of session. It's like it's fully collaborative and you have to actually, you know, have goals in mind and you have to actually have to do the work. Right. So I had to interview a few people in order to get the right ideal client. Now, right. finding those eight clients um, was more, again, very bootstrapped and very, um, um, holistic, right? It wasn't like a Facebook ad or whatever, you know, it was like me approaching like my own 
ecosystem of a network, yeah. right? Like, of course, there's burnout people around me. Of course, there's people <laughs> dissatisfied with their lives. Like, you know, I already knew some of them. So like, you know, to make it easy for myself, I just actually approach these people privately. Yeah. And, you know, they already knew about my journey. I already had social proof there in order in the sense of what I was doing. Um, and I, I said, hey, you know, like the other night I was talking to you about, you know, this and that about your job. And it sounds like you might need some help, you know, to do this. And, and like, surprisingly, I think I can help you. And I would like to test this out, you know, to see what can happen if I can help someone externally beyond myself. Would you be willing to go on this ride with me? And here are here's the exchange of this commitment. You know, here's what my responsibilities are and here's what your responsibilities are. And it's a collaborative effort and it will be a two month commitment. Do you have time and do you have space to do this? You know, and so that was how I got the eight. It wasn't by any mass marketing. It was through yeah. people I knew. And actually, to be honest, even if I was to do it all over again, you know, with something that wasn't a beta test and it was actually a product to sell, you know, I would do the same approach because I think in the beginning of time, it's very unlikely you have a big list and a big audience. And actually, your community is your list. We, we forget that. We forget that uh, there's lots of people that have known you for many years. You don't have to explain yourself and convince people you're awesome. Like, right. you know, they already know that. So you just have to actually tap into your, like, you know, what my, my coach Pam Slim calls your watering holes. Right. You know, like you already, you have social equity built there. You've got trust built there. Like these are the best people to actually invest in you, you know? So start there and actually like do great work instead of actually hiding behind things like lead generation activities or Facebook ads. Cause right. you know, it's, it's a, it's a longer road for those things and, and approaching people one-on-one is, is, a, is very effective. That's incredible. I, I love this approach. I, I did something similar, but not as, um, I didn't consciously do it. It just kind of happened. But I love how you approached it because you, you basically said, all right, all right, I'm not going to do like a coaching certification. I'm just going to start coaching. Yeah. And you created, you created a 64 hour program for you. Right. For yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Plus like all know. the time you're spending like learning and challenging yourself. And it's just an incredible approach. And it, it's kind of a, how I push people to do it too is like tapping in their network. Like everyone yeah. has a hundred friends and family. They can email and say, I'm doing this journey. Totally. I'm scared shitless. And like, come help me if you think I might be able to offer some value. And yeah. people are always so surprised that the people are like just waiting to be asked. Totally. And, and also, you know, to me, it's kind of a responsible way to create great work because, yeah. you know, just like when we used to go to university, like we, we didn't question doing school for four years and having, you know, a $50,000 student loan debt, you <laughs> no. know, and, and potentially not even pay it off. Right. And get a job that, you know, it was nothing was guaranteed in a lot of ways. Right. Once you graduated. Right. Uh, and, and, and we were fine with that because that was just normal. Right. You, everyone does that. But then when it comes to business, people are like, I need to start making money like today or it's, it's a failure. And we forget about like this mastery period where we actually have to be good at our work, where we actually like have to stop trying to look good with having great Instagram accounts and actually start to be good in the right. work, which requires you to do work <laughs> with yeah. people. Right. And, and so there, th this internship piece, right. Of this, like whatever it was two months for me, for example, and continue to be, to be honest, I'm learning all the time, right. In, in my coaching practice. But in that beginning, it was an internship period. It was a moment that I had to be humble and be like, I don't know everything. And I will have to take more time researching techniques, right. Learning how to do exercises, learning how to give people challenges, learning how to deal with conflict, learning how to deal with emotional breakdowns, you know, and things like that in order to like, understand what was that framework of my process or my steps you know, or my concepts that will now be a product that has been validated in some way, 
right? That's been gone through by another human beyond myself. And I think if we don't invest that time, what we do start doing is we start, start to market things. And then we're not confident in what we're actually doing. So we don't market strongly anyway, because right. we're sort of like, we hope that funnel works. But then when it comes to like someone getting on a call and being like, why should I hire you again? You sort of <laughs> don't have any like, like right. evidence to, to pull from, you know, yeah. that can really give you that confidence boost. So I think sometimes we have to take that humble pie and go, when we start entrepreneurship, we are an intern for the first year in our business. And we have to do the dirty work. We have to do all the housekeeping and, and learn things and be a student again. And that overnight success is just not reality, you know, and hence why I tell people to do this while they're still working so that, you know, they're not resentful when they quit you know, to expect income right away. And then sometimes that passion they have fizzles because all of a sudden your passion has become a burden to your, to, to your livelihood, you know? I love that. I'd love to ask you about your use of language. So I think you use some uh, words that just kind of awaken my mind, like escape the shackles of conventional work. Um, escape the rat race. And then you, you said you like asking people, what's the point of their existence? Mm. So where does this bold use of language? I know you have a background in marketing, um, but where does this come from? And, uh, how do you think about putting your message out there? I thought for a minute there, you were going to say, um, I want to question you in your profanity. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, sometimes when people re read the, uh, my blogs and things like that, I, I was oh. going to say, I was very careful in this podcast in case you have some sort of, you know, less than PG 13 sort of rating. Um, you know, I guess I'm quite expressive in the way that I say things, you know, like my tone of voice and I, I am a quite a no bullshit kind of person. I don't like to use woo woo, -woo words and I, I, I primarily don't beat around the bush and I sort of get to the point. Uh, and, and in that sense, I, I, the way that I write is usually the way that I talk. Right. And, and there's something around storytelling that I really like, you know, like every time I talk about a concept or even a technical bit, uh, you know, I use analogies and story to explain the point, which I think helps to get people um, remembering things. And, and, and you know, uh, instead of like break free, you know, unshackle yourself, it's like a very uh, it, it is a very visual word, isn't it? Yeah, like you can imagine right. yourself in like the golden handcuffs and, you know, breaking free for the first time. So I do like to play with words and, you know, I am getting getting a lot better at it in a lot of ways um, when I don't overthink you know, sometimes as well. Uh, and, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I have no idea how these words sometimes come, come into play. Uh, but it's usually from me being fired up about something and then I sort of try to record those things as much as possible and then pick words that sort of are, you know, like strong statements or strong, uh, descriptors, right. That can, can sort of help you visualize the concept rather than, you know, these sorts of airy fairy words. Yeah. I, I love it. And, and so I'm sure you get this question a lot, or maybe people don't ask, but the purple pineapples, I love, <laughs> I love them. Like, is there a story behind the pineapples? And for people that are listening in audio, like you have to click through to go to her website. She has the most like incredible, uh, imagery and branding, um, with purple pineapples fruits. So, uh, hopefully that will get people to your site, but is there a story behind all this? Well, I mean, I guess the pineapples and the tropical theme applies to a lot of like um, what my lifestyle is like these days, yeah. right? Like I'm a small town girl. The island life really suits me. You know, I I, I really love, uh, you know, this would be like a whole new podcast episode. But like there's so much I've learned from living in Bali, from the culture and the way people operate here and the presence that, that the people have here, which has really changed my own definition of how I use my time, how I think, how I um 
you know, work on my emotional intelligence, you know, by living here. Uh, and I love Bali, you know, as, as, as really, I, I don't, to be honest, remember what life was like before Bali, because like, I really feel like I'm finally living a life that I have created, like, like consciously, you know, so whereas everything else felt like a bit of a sleepwalking episode, <laughs> you know, uh, where I was just like going through life, but not really conscious, you know, and just sort of doing things. Uh, and so, I guess a lot of that tropical vibe and the pineapples really represent this like newfound zest for life that I have with my life and my business. Uh, the other thing is, you know, um, when my retreat participants come, you know, I, I host a couple of retreats a year in Bali and they come here to incubate and they take a sabbatical with me. And, you know, it's a, it's a space to sort of uh, think about some of these big questions that you never get to think about in between Netflix and your gym appointments and commutes. Right. Um, and someone I sort of mentioned once at a retreat, like, you know, um, you're kind of like a pineapple. You're like really sharp on the outside, like kind of blunt and you know like 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 a force of nature because i'm quite t small i'm 5'3 you know like you're like this like kind of like you know go-getter like spicy hot tamale right but in the inside like when you actually spend a lot of time with you like a lot of your um you know no bullshit advice and sort of your your push and challenge to people comes from an intention of actually like really loving people and being very compassionate about that and it was really lovely to hear because uh, growing up as a sort of you know um harder, you know, like sort of very masculine personality. Sometimes I was right. always mis misunderstood a lot as like aggressive sometimes, you know, or, um, back in the day in high school, I would be bullied a bit on like, I never say things ladylike, you know, or something like that, which made me feel like, you know, I can't, I can't speak my mind and be <laughs> honest and, and, and open if I, and then I would be called a man, you right. know? Uh, and, and so th that was sort of a, a, my own personal, sort of meaning around the pineapple is like, you know, you could be like, looks like it's tough on the outside, but it's actually quite sweet on the inside, right? If you only open it, it up, right? Uh, and so that helps me sort of remember that actually it's okay to actually challenge people. People need that in the world. We need less fucking frou-frou things and you can do it, rah, rah, rah. We actually need people to challenge people on yeah. what they're doing. And actually sometimes it's tough love. Sometimes it isn't nice you know, it feels nice, but that's the commitment I have to my clients to point out perspective that, you know, it's going to challenge them. It's going to make them feel uncomfortable, you know, because as Susan, da as Susan Cain says, right. Um, sorry, Susan David says, uh, in, in, you know, uh, in her Ted talk, it's like, you know, uh, um, a discomfort is the, the price of admission of meaningful life, right? Like if you want a meaningful life, you got to get uncomfortable. And if people around them aren't helping them get uncomfortable or they themselves don't have the stomach to make themselves uncomfortable, like that's the job. That's the experiences I create. That's the, the, the outlet that I create for them so that they can explore these things safely and not be judged if they made a mistake and, and, and still hear the truth, but are supported in doing the work, right? Not just like yelling at you and then goodbye, right? Like it's not, there's no yelling, you know, it's like very much, um, a collaborative experience and it's very much, um, not an easy thing to do. Right. But I'm very drawn to helping do people do difficult things. It's just the thing I like. Right. I love it. People, people need more pineapple in their they life. Need more pineapples. <laughs> what I, I really just really love the courage so much. And, uh, I think given that you've really found something that brings you alive, it, it doesn't come across as prickly anymore. I think it comes across as like super genuine, maybe okay. because I'm, I'm part of the converted, but, um, <laughs> I think it's, uh, fantastic. Um, so I'd love to leave people with something. Maybe what is one of the exercises in your retreats or conversations with people that really helps people shift 
their minds in terms of like what might be possible? Is there some, something that jumps out or a framing that has helped people or an article or something? Yeah, actually, what would probably be helpful is uh, one of the big questions that I get a lot is like, yeah, I want to quit my job, but then what work should I then start to replace my right. income? Right, like great question. Of course, you're not going to be motivated to leap if you don't know what you're leaping into. Uh, so I have actually a really great like free training that I just break this down. There's a, a, a accompanying guide uh, workbook that sort of helps with these uh, puzzle pieces of um, questioning and identification. Uh, and this is the what business should I start? Um, training, <laughs> you know, wow. just really to the point. So I can give that to you guys. It's free. You know, you'll get it. Uh, you can watch the webinars about probably 90 minutes long. Uh, and then it comes with this workbook you can work on right uh, after you're done with it, which can help you to define a niche and help you to define a path or a focus or a direction for work. Um, now, as I said, you know, one of the things that I don't believe in is job titles, right? Like to me, we all have a body of work, like all your work has meant something. It's all actually quite purposeful. But there's sort of the next chapter, the next branch on your tree that you want to expand into, right, or amplify. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the reason why we don't know the answer of like, what work should I be doing next or what business should I be starting is also very likely because we're unaware of what our strongest skills are. And we look right. at skills in a lot of ways of like technical stuff. Like I can write, I can website, you know, design and I can do this and that. And they're again, titles. Resume right? skills. Resume skills. Uh, but to me, it's a, a bit more higher level than that. It's sort of like in, in more like ingredients, you know, that like actually you don't have to give up. So if you're like, I'm a great copywriter, you know, and I'm a great web designer, right? You, you can actually like have both happen in your business, right? right? Like you can actually, it's better because then you don't stick out as just like some ordinary, you know, Jill and Joe, like you're, you're someone that comes with a suite of skills that actually can amplify your primary skill even much more strongly, you know? Uh, and I think that's super important. So what the first thing that, uh, you know, you'll learn from that webinar is first, we have to take stock, right? Because most people don't, they just sort of been working and worked in an industry and they know, know themselves as just like, I'm an accountant right? And that's all I do. But actually, there's a lot of things that you do as an accountant or different versions of roles in accounting that actually, if you extract some of the things that you do day to day, like, you know, like the fact that you can make like an intangible skill for accountants sometimes is like they can make like something complicated like financials really digestible for regular humans that are afraid of numbers. So there's right. something like really sympathetic or empathetic about you where you can be like, don't worry, like look at this, the analogy of how we budget for you. Like instead of going to spreadsheet mode and like, you know, like all of the forecasting, right? <clears throat> You're going to do a lot more like managing um, the emotional feeling people have around their money, let's say, right? Or making them feel more comfortable about making money an ally rather than the enemy, right? You have a special thing to do that. Now, not all accountants can do that, you see? Yeah. So you have to know, know that and acknowledge that that part of your skill of being an accountant is really valuable. And I really enjoy it. And it actually comes really naturally to me. And that's some things to sort of extract from your job titles. And you'll start to see you have a whole bag of skills that you might want to bring forth, right? Or right, bring into your next uh, ideas if necessary. I love that ingredients. Yeah, ingredients. Uh, pineapples. Yeah. <laughs> so so many good so many good things we're living with people with today. Uh, where do you want to direct people if they want to connect m with you or learn more about what you're uh, doing? 
Yeah. So uh, as promised, you know, when we just talked about this free training, I'll give you the link for it. You're more than welcome to add it to the page or wherever that that for we sure. do it. Uh, and then where people can actually just get more free stuff and actually just check out like what we're doing for work to help people transition right from corporate is to go to screwthecubicle.com. Uh, that's sort of where um, the home right of everything that I do. So a lot of my video interviews are on there. You'll see my YouTube channel that's on there. Um, and we do sort of monthly video interviews and, and monthly video learnings around some of that identity crisis moments and imposter syndrome and, you know, all the things that are just not always about business is really about the human condition during change, which is super important to uh, talk about, right, and explore and be honest about uh, during that time. So um, if you go to screwthecubicle.com, um, you know, there's um, some free resources there that you can sign up for, obviously. You can get a hold of me there as well. I answer every single email that comes through from our website. It takes a long time sometimes, but I do actually really care about learning more about what happens with people when they're about to make this leap. So a lot of it is market research for me, but I too want to have a conversation with you. You know, I want to know, you know, like where are, where you're at because everybody's next step or what leap, you know, pad they need to get into is different, you yeah. know, and I rather be giving you much more tailored advice rather than like, you know, just go do the six step plan and <laughs> you too will be successful. Like that is so disingenuous and not, not true, you know, easier to sell and scale. Right. But I wouldn't be doing my job if it was so cookie cutter like that. I love it. I that totally resonates, and uh, we need less six step ebooks and more uh, human connection and kindness. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, if anyone loves Bali, I mean, I hold my retreat every April. You know, which is called your next big thing. So it's for people who are like, what should I do next with my life, and how do I have this time and space to take this break, to take a pause, that sabbatical, a mini sabbatical with like-minded people to actually explore some of these questions that we don't ask ourselves, right? About what is that plan? You know, to make income, to have a different lifestyle, you know, to have much more of what we envision um, to be meaningful in our lives, uh, and start to actually think about that and plan the right activities and actions to help bring that into fruition, right? So I think that's great for people to get out of their normal environment, right? That's what we need for change, um, to not be in a routine, right? Routine's what kills creativity, right? And to be back in nature again and actually be somewhere new and experience new cultures and new people in a place like Bali in order to, you know, help you cultivate that um, dreaming, visionary part of you that's been dormant for so long, you know, stuck in routine and actually give you a space to explore those ideas. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. I would not be surprised if you have some people reaching out to you, but uh, thanks again for your passion and the work you're doing out there. Yeah, thanks, Paul. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for listening to the Boundless Podcast. If you have feedback, guest suggestions, or ideas I should explore, I'd really love to hear from you. One of the best things about this journey I've been on is connecting with all the people from around the world who are resonating with some of the ideas, some crazy, some better, some worse, uh, that I'm putting out into the world. Uh, you can email me at paul at think-boundless.com or find me on the various socials, which I link in my site. So I'm focused on keeping this podcast ad-free uh, clear of requests for ratings on various platforms. Basically, just want to keep it useful, interesting, and worth listening to. Uh, you guys hear enough about different underwear and sleep mattresses that people are pushing. I mean, how many mattresses can uh, people sell? It's unbelievable. Um, anyway, if you do want to support this podcast and uh, support this crazy journey I'm on, 
uh, you can do that on Patreon through the show notes link. And this is just so much fun. And I really thank you for listening and the continued feedback and support. Hey, all. Thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate the support and especially always love when people reach out letting me know what they think about the specific episodes. If you want to go deeper into Pathless Path World, you can, of course, check out my book. It's sold It's going to hit 50,000 soon. I think by the time you're hearing this, it will probably have already sold 50,000, which is mind-blowing. But I continue all the support of people that buy and share the book. If you want to meet others on Pathless Paths, I have a community, which you can find at pathlesspath.com slash membership. And you can join and meet hundreds of others around the world trying to make sense of weird paths and meeting others along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day.